0: darker place so so their change is you know the shining of a light in this city would make it very challenging on top of that well they've lived in this city for a long time and so they came out of the lifestyle of uh of the area of corinth and so they had some drastic changes that were made in their lives in order to uh to be what god is calling them to be and they struggled with that just like we do you know we all have a past we all have temptations that we deal with, and sometimes dragging those with us makes it, well, always makes it more difficult to live the Christian life, and they struggle with that. On top of that, they also are having problems in the church in Corinth with a huge division, and this division is like the big issue, but it's propped up with a whole bunch of little issues that they've kind of been fighting over, and as a consequence to to those little issues, they just cannot be united, and if they can't be united, then their light's not really shining, is it? So the Apostle Paul sends this letter back to them, and in the first six chapters, primarily of the book, what he's doing is he's dealing with the reports that he has received about the condition of the church, what's going on, why it's going on, how to fix some problem issues that haven't been taken care of, and then once you get to chapter 7, he starts dealing with a letter he has received from them that has a bunch of questions in it. They had evidently had a lot of questions they were struggling with, and so they wrote them in a letter and sent it to him, and so he starts dealing with that around chapter seven so what he's dealt with up to this point is uh uh he has talked about their division he has talked about uh inspiration and how that you know what he's writing to them came from god they were these the words from god not from paul he didn't select you know god gave him these thoughts and he just kind of summarized it these really are the words god wanted him to use he talked about church growth he talked about changing uh, as we get into chapter 5, or as we got into chapter 5 on Sunday, the early part of the chapter, what he talked about was uh, the issue of open sin in the church. What had happened was there was a uh, a, a man in the church who was living in open uh, fornication or adultery. And in fact, this was an extreme case even, where the what he's involved with even included taking his father's wife. And, you know, it's bad enough that this is happening uh, it's bad enough that there is sin involved, but this has openly happened with the church. And so this evidently this man and this woman are in the congregation there. And rather than it being something that people are saying, hey, we need to help these people or we need to guide them out of we need to correct that, they've just kind of been happy about it. It actually says they're puffed up. Uh, they ought to be sad rather than rejoicing over this. And you say, well, how could they be rejoicing over sin? Well, it's really very simple. If you look at it in our in our world today, how many times have you heard somebody say, God just wants me to be happy. You know, and you see somebody in a bad situation and they get out of it and they get into one and it looks good and on the surface you think, well, I'm just so happy that they're happy when the truth of the matter is you're looking at a, you know, a limited physical aspect rather than the eternal implications of that sin, you know? So he's saying you've got to fix this situation and so he calls for them to withdraw fellowship from him and what that means is not that you make a, uh, you know, uh, documented statement or whatever what it means is that you make an action which means you don't act like things are normal anymore you know and it's very significant the way that he the way that he identified it if you look there in chapter 5 and verse uh let's see 4 in the name of our lord jesus christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one for Satan. He's not talking about a declaration. Now, certainly there has to be some kind of a statement made for people to all be on the same page. But what he's talking about is when the church is together, there needs to be an action together. Now, that's going to be hard for them to do because they're not together, are they? They're divided. So what he's saying is church discipline has to be something that's practiced by, practiced by the church not by the elders or the preacher or a member or two, but by the church. And if that sounds like something, you know, that sounds kind of, in our society today, we look at something like that, and that's kind of cold, isn't it? Harsh, unloving. How loving is it to watch somebody travel down this path to an eternity in hell and smile with them along the way? How loving is that? That's not loving at all, is it? loving is to try to actually peter would describe it as snatching them out of the fire so what he's talking about here is just don't act like everything's okay try to draw these people out of that sin and don't go on like you're happy about it or whatever but you have to do it together now that togetherness is going to come into play as we keep reading we stopped at verse nine so let's start there first corinthians five starting verse nine i wrote to you in my epistle ...not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world... ...or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters... ...since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother... ...who's a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a reviler, or a drunkard or an extortioner... ...not even to eat with such a person. For what have I do to do with judging those also who are outside? Do, not, do you not judge those who are inside... Those who are outside, God judges, therefore put away from yourselves that wicked person. There's an underlying principle here, and it's about the fact that God told us. You know, when Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about our deeds, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. It's about who we are is about glorifying God, right? Okay, so the problem is, when we're no different than the world, how are we then pointing the world to God and therefore glorifying God? If we're no different, how are we shining a light that glorifies God? You see, we're not, right? So what he's talking about here is he's saying you need to be a body of people who are getting each other to heaven and shining a light that draws others to you. Now, the problem is you can take that too far. And by the way, we do that a lot today. We meaning the religious world as a whole. How many times? I'm going to step on it tonight. Uh, How many times do we boycott... Disney or, uh, I don't know, ABC or or Home Depot or some entertainment thing or whatever. Uh, How many people, and you know, when it goes the other way, we support it. Chick-fil-A gets boycotted because we don't agree with them, right? Okay, here's a question. What did he just say about that? Yeah, the problem is... I'm not going to change the world by withdrawing from the world. <laughs> what I'm going to do is, if I'm, if I'm the light, then I'm going to affect the world. How can you live in this world? How can you live in this world? And if you want to boycott Disney or whoever, more power to you. You got you spend your money where you want to spend your money. But how, how am I going to change the world if I'm never around the world? I like salt. My doctor doesn't like it. My wife doesn't like me liking it i like salt okay here's the thing it sits on this little in this container by our stove and when i fix my plate i fix my plate i look at that salt shaker there and i say boy i think this needs some salt but i never pick up the salt shaker how much does that help the taste of my food what has to happen in order for my food to be the way i want it i had to pick up the shaker and i had to put it on the the meat or the spaghetti or the whatever right you actually have to put the salt on it, right? As long as it's sitting there in that jar, it's just a jar of salt, right? Okay, well, how in the world are we as Christians ever going to have an influence on the world if we are withdrawn from the world to the extent of we're not ever influencing them? we never come into contact with them. So what he says here is, look, I'm talking about, you know, this brother who's living in open sin that you don't need to be a- associating with, but I don't want you to take that so far that you think, well, I've got my, na- my neighbors living the same way. So I guess I can't talk to my neighbor anymore. Or, you know, the guy that's selling meat in the market, he's living the same way, so now I can't buy meat from him anymore. And Paul says, that'd be ridiculous, especially when you consider the city of Corinth. How are they even going to live in that city if they pull themselves totally out of it? I also probably ought to add something else here. It's really easy for us to categorize. And so we like to say, okay, this adultery, yeah, absolutely, we've got to be prepared that... You know, we can't let that in. But there were some other things he mentioned in this same context, wasn't there? And those are things that we usually kind of put down here. You know, the big thing. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to make sure we do the right thing with the big things. But what are we going to do with these things down here? See, the, the big issue here is if we don't practice some type of discipline meaning don't act like it's okay, then what we do is we allow people to continue down a path that's going to cause them to be lost. On top of that, we dim a light that's supposed to be helping God reach our world. Okay? Don't act like everything's okay. Let's keep reading. I told you I've got to speed up, so I'm not going as deep as I'd like to, but chapter 6. There any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If you then have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Stop there just a second. Okay, evidently, one of the things that was happening in the church in Corinth was this fighting. And again, this is issues. all these issues have contributed to their division. So evidently, some of this fighting has been over some kind of a personal wrong. And, you know, somebody has been wronged. Okay, and what has happened is they have, rather than try to mediate or you know fix the issue or whatever they have jumped into uh, a legal court in the city of corinth uh, that's bringing matters between brethren out into the open now you know obviously there's a place for court systems and all that in fact i think the bible upholds the court system not only in the book of romans as paul talks about the government but paul himself appealed to caesar didn't he that's appealing to a legal court system god's not speaking here against a legal court system What he's saying here is, if you are Christians and you realize that the things of this world are all temporary and what's important is what's eternal and the influence you have on the world for what is eternal, then why in the world are you taking these temporary things and putting them in a place where you're, once again, putting out your light? What you do is, he says, isn't there anybody? I mean, you you realize light exposes darkness, right? And so at the judgment day, you realize what's going to be exposed by the light is that the world is wrong. Greg talked in this thing a while ago about this guy that figured out that, uh, you know, all you got to do is weigh the scales out, right? How many people in our world do you think believe that? In fact, I think there are people in the church who believe that. How many people in our world think all you got to do is, well, you got to have a plaque of the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse because you got to keep the Ten Commandments and... Once you do that, you're all okay. How many people in our world do you think believe that? The great majority of our world believes that all you've got to do is believe that God exists, you know, be a good person, keep the commandments or whatever, the Ten Commandments or, or whatever, attend a church every once in a while and everything's going to be okay in the end. You know when that's going to be exposed? When we stand before God. And what's going to happen is every knee's going to bow, and at that point what they're going to know is the Bible was right. That's a judgment, isn't it? Okay, but the thing is, if we know that that judgment, which is the only really important judgment ever, is going to happen, then why in the world do we hurt the opportunity to influence people by the bickering and fighting that we do amongst ourselves? That's what he's talking about. So he's saying, look, you'd be better off in the long run if what you do is actually just take the hurt. Just take the hurt. That'd be be better. He's not saying you let somebody run over you. He's saying it'd be better for you to take the hurt than for you to hurt the church. By going into these court systems with your brother. Okay, but he keeps going. Verse 7. Therefore, it is an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be defrauded? No. You yourselves do wrong and defraud. And you do these things to your brethren. See, what's going on here is not protection. Uh... You know, it's not my brother has wronged me, I have to protect myself. It's my brother has wronged me and I have to get even or even get ahead. How many people do you think, and I'm just speaking generally in our world, how many people have ever had to file a lawsuit or filed a lawsuit and they filed it saying, you know, I really just need to get this much you know, they do need to be punished, but not that bad. So I'll just ask for this much, and we'll just let it go after that. How many people do you think go to court like that? That's not the way it goes, is it? I mean, if you get injured and you go to a court of law, you want to go as high as you can go, right? And then it works its way down in somewhere in between when you negotiate, right? Okay, that's the way they're doing with their brethren. You know, you bumped into my car out here, and so I'm going to take you to court. How does that help the influence of the church? It doesn't. It only hurts. Keep reading. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before we stop, I want to keep this in its context before I keep reading that. We usually just read that verse and the next verse together, and we just talk about what I'm going to go to next. But I want to keep it in its context first. You know what he's doing? He's saying, this is what you're acting like. He's saying by you doing the things that you're doing with the defrauding of one another, with the division that's occurring that's going out there, with allowing the open sin that's continuing to exist in the congregation, and with the way you're acting toward the people in the world, what happens is you're acting just like everybody else. And what you have to know is, you know, listen, you know that the people in the world who act this way are not going to be saved, don't you? Well, why should you not then recognize that the people who are inside the building who are acting that way are also not going to be saved? You can be inside the the building. You can have a right name on a wall or a biblical name on the wall. You can even be in a place that's worshiping scriptural and teaching scriptural and you can still be lost because you're not going to be saved as a part of a party. You can be saved by your relationship to God through the blood of Jesus, right? So he says, you can't live like everybody else in the world. And you saw the things that he mentioned. But I want to read it again. And I'll go ahead and read verse 11 with it now. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, they know that. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor devourers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now that's the true power, and I want to tell you why he's saying it this way, because he's trying to motivate them. He says, you people were this. If, if you ever want to know if the blood of Jesus and the love of God is powerful enough to change you, there's your verse. I mean, he lists off pretty much everything there we would, we would classify as a big sin, right? Like I talked about a while ago, the big sins and little sins, which I hope you know there aren't such things. But that's what he, and these things he says, you were these people. Why are you not anymore? Because you became a Christian. It's a form of homosexuality. Yeah, it's a form. It's just like fornication and adultery are are similar, but not identical. I don't want to put that on further. Such were some of you. The gospel can change you. But I want you to see what he's saying here. If you, were not, if you are not that anymore, then what that means is you shouldn't act like that. So all these things that he's talked about with the problems they're having in the church and with the, the, the sin that's there and with the going to court against each other and the way they're treating each other and what's happening in their influence of the world, he's saying you're acting like you used to act and you're not the same person you used to be. So don't act like that anymore. Recognize that God has changed you and live like he changed you. All right, let's keep going. Now we're changing some of the topic. We're still in context, but we're changing some of it. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Or that word could be profitable or it could be expedient. All things are, not, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any food for the stomach the stomach for foods but god will destroy both it and them now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord for the body and we'll keep reading because he's not stopping there but i want to kind of i want to keep us in in our place here this is actually a general principle that he's going to apply in a specific case the general principle is not that anything you want to do is okay for you to do that's not the principle he says all things are lawful. So what he's talking about is all the things that God provides as things that are, you can do without it being sin. Right? You see that? So anything that is not contrary to what God says we should be as Christians, he says, are things that I can be involved with. However, just because I can be involved with it does not mean that I should be involved with it. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it. Now, we could apply this principle A lot of places in life beyond what we are as a Christian, right? I mean, just because you can say something to anybody, does that mean you should say it? Just because you have a freedom, does that mean you should exercise that freedom in every case? We hear a whole lot today, well, I have my rights. That doesn't mean my rights should always be expressed, should they? So as a Christian, what he says here, as a Christian, you need to recognize you can be right with God uh, under these conditions, but that doesn't mean you should do what we're talking about here and then he takes it further and says even if something is not inherently sinful in and of itself if it takes power over you it becomes something that you should not be involved with and then he gives the example food for the belly the belly for food why was your stomach created I mean the psalmist said we're fearfully fearfully and wonderfully made didn't he God designed us the way that we are why was your stomach designed yeah, that's where your food goes into your body and it is digested and then it nourishes throughout your body so you continue to live, right? That makes sense, right? Why were you giving taste buds? What is that? How does that play into it? That's just like the salt I wanted a while ago? Yeah. <laughs> that has to do with the fact that God loved us and put joy and pleasure into our life as well, right? How, but guess what? Those good things the taste that God gives us that shows his love for us and the nourishment that God gave us through the way that the stomach functions and the eating process, can it be abused? And it becomes our control. Is anything sin? You know what gluttony is? Something? Hey, that was a good, that was a good response. I have to say that so it gets on tape. What he said is something that somebody else does. <laughs> you know what gluttony is? Just generally speaking, gluttony is the, bu- the abuse of primarily food. The abuse of something that is a good thing, right? That could be applied anywhere. Actually, I think that's where the devil does some of his best work. It's not in getting me to be blatant out there. It's in getting me to take something that God has given me that is good and abuse it. Use it in a way that he has not uh, set forth for it to be used or to allow it to control me. And he says, I will not be brought under the power of, of any of these. It doesn't matter if it's right or, well, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. But it doesn't matter if it's right, if it's something that takes control over me. Well, I've lost control, haven't I? And so I shouldn't be involved with it. And the reason is, is because all this, all this is going to be gone anyway. <laughs> so why does it matter? keep reading he 's not done because he 's not by the way he 's not yes well that 's true it 's still sinful though it can be legal it 's still sinful that 's different than expedient though yeah yeah, and an expedient yeah i 'll gi- give you an example of an expedient before I keep going. Uh, an expedient would be, you know, God tells us to worship on the first day of the week, doesn't he? Okay, the expedient to that is we we gather for Bible class at 9 o'clock, worship at 10, and worship again at 6. Okay, that's an expedient, which means it would not be a violation of God's law for us to move that any time during the day, right? So the elders say, listen, you know, uh, we think it's just it's just too much. There's so many things people could be doing throughout the day, so we're going to move worship to... 3 o'clock Saturday, Sunday morning. That way we're still on the first day of the week, but we're going we're gonna to move the time to 3 o'clock on Sunday morning instead of 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Okay, by God's commands, that should be the first day of the week, wouldn't it? Okay, that would be an expedient that we would change. Now here's a question. Would it be helpful or profitable? No. In fact, what it would be is detrimental, wouldn't it? So that's how something that is an expedient can be abused to become something that it should not be. It would be wrong. Because it would be detrimental to the Christians who are here. So that's how that expedient works. But I, but I want to tell you, Paul's concern here is not food. Okay? He talks about food. He talks about the stomach. He's just using something that they understand. And the reason he's using it is because he's going to go back to this problem that they're having with sin in the church and with their activities. There's something deeper here. Let's start in verse 14. Well, let me back up again. Food for the stomach, the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he was joined to a harlot as one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So here's what he says. Here's the attitude he's trying to, uh, trying to correct in the church in Corinth and desperately need, needs to be corrected today. Uh, if I have a desire for something and God created me this way, then I ought to be able to fulfill that desire. Right? God made me this way. Nobody's ever heard that argument, have you? god made me this way and so i i just live this way now i'll use a simple illustration uh you know god made me without a filter so i just speak without a filter okay does that make it okay for me to speak without a filter just because my personality maybe is that way no what happens is that just means it's something i got to work harder on right You know, that's the simple illustration. But what they were saying is we have these desires that God gave us, which he did, by the way, and so we can fulfill them. We have a desire for food. God gave us the desire for food. We just eat all we want to eat, right? Okay, but that wasn't their argument. God gave us these intimate desires. And since he made us the way that he made us, and he did tell us he made us male and female, didn't he? And there's a reason for it. And not only that, but it goes back to the example that he gave with the eating he also gave us pleasure in this relationship, didn't he? And not just for procreation, but for the ability to be one together as a husband and wife. Did he not give us that relationship? And so he says, or their argument is, since he gave us all this, then we'll just fulfill it however I want to. And he says, you got a problem. And the problem is, yes, God did give us the relationship, but he also, he also gave us a, a range and a place to fulfill the relationship. And when you abuse the good thing God has given you in a place or in a way that God has not described or given, then that becomes sin. And actually what he says here is joining oneself to a harlot. I'm, I'm going to read this next verse. This is one of these verses that really... Uh, well, the next couple of verses, actually, I'm going to read. These are uh, uh, these are verses that bother me immensely because they're verses that we we, generally speaking in the religious world, abuse we take them way out of context i'm going to tell you my principle my belief my belief is you can take the bible and you can lessen it you can lose the things that god has bound and you'll be wrong right everybody's with me on that so if god says something like for example one of the things you mentioned here was that god the two shall become one so god instituted marriage right and so you can lessen that and you can change it that doesn't make it right right that actually makes it wrong right Okay, but there's another side to that. You can also go too far. You can take God's word and you can make application from it or instruction from it that's beyond what God says in his context. Is that any less wrong? No, in fact, that's one of the problems that the Pharisees had in Matthew 23 when Jesus turned to them and said, you make it harder to enter into the kingdom than God does. Okay, so I'm just warning you before I get into these two verses. So if you get aggravated with me, we'll talk later. 18 flee sexual immorality wait let me say something about that before we go further you want a picture of that who joseph how many times have i told you that what god tells us about in the new testament you can actually see it in the old a lot of times you hear the law or you hear the instruction in the new but you see a picture of it in the old so you have this young man joseph who's young i mean he's a young guy right He's, he's a good-looking kid. He's been sold by his brothers. He is no longer in his home country. As far as man looking at it concerned, you'd start to think God had forsaken him, wouldn't you? If you didn't know the account, if you're him living it. So you have your, you don't have your God. You don't have your family. You don't have your parents. You don't have anybody around you anymore. And now you don't have your freedom. You're a servant in this home. And all of a sudden, this woman comes in and tries to seduce him. And not once, but day after day after day after day. I mean, be honest. That's not going to wear him down. I actually think it was probably wearing him down. I think that's why he ran. He wasn't going to stay there and fail. So he says, flee sexual immorality. Look at Joseph. That's what that's the point here. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Now I'm going to start by telling you what this doesn't teach, and then we'll talk about what it does teach. And I'm going to use a simple not get myself in trouble example. Uh I know the science changes. You know every few years the science changes that's why I just eat what I want to anyway, or at least that's what I say. Uh, but, you know, eggs are, eggs are, depending on what year you're in, eggs are bad for you, right? Or good for you, or bad for you, or good for you. But why are they bad for you? Cholesterol, right? So you know, only eggs, they're bad for you. And somebody says, well, I'm going to eat, I eat two eggs every day. Well, you know what? You're killing yourself, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you're eating those eggs as a sin. Never had anybody say that to you, have you? Oh, but you've had it said about other things. What did he say here? How many sins are without the body? Every sin is without the body. Then he has a contrast word. But, what did he say? Every sin is without the body. But, do I have to read it? You can't read it? He who commits sexual immorality sins against his body. So you're telling me that you're eating of eggs that have cholesterol in them is sexual immorality? Is that what you're saying? No. You telling me that eating that red meat—that makes me hungry just talking about it—is <laughs> the equivalent of sexual immorality? No. So don't take this passage that says the Holy Spirit's in you and you're in the the temple of the Holy Spirit and say, anytime you eat anything or do anything that in any way somebody has said is wrong makes it a sin, then they're equating that to sexual immorality. And that's just not true, is it? So that's not what he's saying here. So what is he saying? What he is saying is that we have a responsibility. You know, when he made man and woman, who were they to be? One. Two became one. When you're in a relationship with God, that's two becoming one. That's your relationship. Does that exclude then a husband and wife? No, it doesn't. But that's because God made that relationship, didn't he? So when we go beyond that, what we're doing is we're not just violating our relationship with our spouse. What we're doing is we're violating our relationship with our God. Because we are using what he has given us. The physical abilities and attributes and desires that he has given us, and we're abusing them. You think about the way the devil works today. There are things that he could use to tempt us that wouldn't have any success whatsoever. I mean, think about it. What if the devil tempted you to go less? I was going to go harder than that. What if the devil tempted you to go home? I'm going to go home tonight. The devil is tempting me to go home and get out a hammer and smash my thumb. What's the chances that's going to work? Yeah, you, I don't, you, if you know me at all, I'm not smashing my finger with a hammer, right? That's not going to work. What pleasures in that? But on the other hand, you know, take that 12-ounce medium-rare medium-rare sirloin, turn it into a 32-ounce and tell me if I can eat it all, I can get it for free. That might work. He doesn't tempt us with things we don't want. He takes the good things and the pleasurable things that God has given us and tempts us to abuse those. You see how that works? And that's that's what this passage is talking about. We belong to God. So don't take what he has given us and abuse that by giving ourselves to somebody that doesn't belong to God or some relationship that doesn't belong to God. Okay, I have six minutes. What verse are we in? Chapter Chapter 7, I made it. This is where we're supposed to start 50 minutes ago. Verse 1. Oh, here's where we change topics. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, you see it, they wrote a letter, they had questions, so starting here we have these, it's almost like Proverbs, there are some things connected together, but it's like the wise man would talk about this, and then he would change to this, and he would change to this, so what Paul's doing is he answers this question, then he answers this question, then he answers this question, and there's a context in this chapter, and in fact, let me show you this, because I'm not going to get very far, so if you study this tonight, turn over to verse 26. There's a context, a, a qualifier, if you will, to the things, a lot of the things that he's going to say in this chapter, and that's verse 26 when he says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of, what do you got next? The present distress, okay? Not everything in this chapter is universally uh, applicable. Well, a lot of it is, but not everything. And what he's saying is there are some things that I want you to recognize. You're in a situation in Corinth where not only do you have this problem with what's happening around you, with influences and with you trying to change, but you also have some persecutions that are coming. And as a consequence of that, I'm telling you there's a better way to exist. Okay, so he starts with these questions, and here's his answers. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband, and let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Question number one. Well, if you're talking about all these problems that are happening with intimacy and you know joining yourself with somebody that's not your spouse, and we don't understand how does the world's does the world influence even the intimacy in marriage sometimes? How many people grow up with an addiction to pornography or whatever, and they think that's what marriage is supposed to be in today's world i mean we're in a society today that is seriously in need of definitions to what's appropriate and what's not. Probably always has been. Maybe it's just more public today. But we need it, don't we? God's already defined it. And he defines it right here. And what he says is, a husband doesn't own his own body, and a wife doesn't own her own body. Who owns them? Each other. Each other. And there's a res- that's a responsibility to each other. And he tells you why. It's because God did put these desires in us, and that responsibility with each other keeps us from being in a position where the devil's more easily able to tempt us. And he even qualifies it and says, look, there, there's times, obviously there's times where you're not going to be together, and he actually lists two of them. We connect them together, but they're two different things. Fasting and prayer, they're two different things. One of them is when something's Happening that has to happen more important, maybe even a sorrow. And we've talked about this so many times, fasting. Uh, you know, if if all of a sudden you get a call from somebody that says, hey, I'm, I'm having a heart attack, I've got to get to the hospital, can you help me? You're going to drop everything you've got, especially if they're close to you, whatever's going on, no matter what it is, and you're going to go, aren't you? If it's five minutes till supper time, what are you going to say? Well, I'll tell you what, we just about to put supper on the table, let me sit down and eat. As soon as supper's over, I'll come get you. Is that what you're going to say? No. You're going to put that aside because there's something more important, right? So the fasting side of it is when when you both agree there's something happening that's more important. Okay, here's the other side of it. When it's time to spend some time with God, that's about me and him. Time for me to focus on my relationship with God. Now, I can give you some simple illustrations. Well, I'm glad I don't have to teach this in those kids' classes, especially Jared's class. Uh, let me give you some simple illustrations uh, mission trips, okay You go on a three week mission trip it's a long time isn 't it? Why would you do that? Why would you leave your spouse for three weeks or however long you go on a mission trip? Why would you do that it 's a relation it 's about service and relationship to god isn 't it? Is it worth giving up the flesh for a little bit of time to do that, okay? And the same thing is true with the fasting side of it. What he's saying here is there are, there are responsibilities you have to each other, however that's fulfilled. There are responsibilities that you have to each other. But recognize that when that's not being fulfilled, it needs to be for one of two reasons. There's something vital happening that needs your attention first, or you really need to work on your relationship with God. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm out of time. So I survived through that part. I guess we'll pick it up there on, on Sunday. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight, and we're so thankful for your word to guide us. We're so thankful, Father, that you allow us to serve you in the ways that you do, and we pray, Father, that we will be the light that you desire for us to be, that our influence will be strong to glorify you, and that we will not do things that hinder your light into this community. Please don't allow our weaknesses to stop your power. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.